Let's give Jesus a bigger hand of praise this morning. Yeah. Because he's worthy of our praises. I bring grace, mercy, and peace to you this morning from God, our Father, his beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who gathers us in faith. Last Sunday, I listened in on the service as we drove to Pennsylvania, and um, I heard Pastor Zem's message. It was a beautiful message on humility. And taken from the book of Psalm 131, he took those three verses and really did a spin on it. I enjoyed the message. I was blessed by it and all of the different parts that he put in it. He truly did dissect that message or those texts in a very profound and unique way. I see the act of humility following through into this week's readings as well as God in these readings is talking about the path toward blessing or a blessed life. He's talking about the path that we need to take toward a blessed life. You have to understand that God comes in our lives and his plans is always to bless us. That's why he comes. God wants to bless us. He says that the thief comes, John 10, 10, to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so that you may have life and have it more abundantly. God comes to give you life. You have to understand it. That's why he comes in our lives. We see this in our readings this morning. Deuteronomy 30, God tells Israel about the choice that he placed before them. Life and death, he says, and he cautions them to choose life, not death, because he wants them to live and enjoy the blessings of, 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 of his creation and enjoy the blessings also of eternity. Choose life. In Psalm 1, which was a responsive reading this morning, we find the same idea where the man who is blessed is making the choice to not walk in the ways of the ungodly. That's the man who is blessed. He has made the choice to walk in the way of God. It takes humility for a person to choose to walk in the ways of God, to listen to the laws <coughs> sorry, of God. It takes one to be uh, living in humility to do that. In our New Testament reading from Philemon, Paul sends Onesimus back to the church he had ran away from. We don't know why he ran away. Scripture doesn't tell us that, but it tells us that he was a slave. And I don't know, for some apparent reason, I would assume that he did something wrong while he was there with the church. And he fled and ran away from them. And as he ran, God placed him in encounter. He had an encounter with uh, the apostle who converted him to Christianity. And then he spent a lot of time with him, discipling him until he was strong enough. He sent him back to go and face the problem he had ran away from. And so it takes humility also to see uh, Onesimus go back to the church to fall before them and say, I'm sorry for whatever it is that he had done wrong. In our gospel, it's the same idea. Jesus speaks of humility as he addresses those who are making the willing decision to follow him, as we find in the text. So talking about humility, for, for, for we're going to be talking about this topic for three weeks, all right, beginning today and next week, 
and a week after. And my, my prayer is that you don't miss any part of it because it's very important that we understand where God is taking us with this text from the gospel reading this morning. We're going to chew on this text for three weeks until we can really exhaust it. So that's what we're going to be looking at. So um, to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, one must have enough courage and discipline to do so. I want to say this one more time so we grab hold of it because a lot of us walk around telling people, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. We don't really understand what the word Christian means. All right? The word Christian, you're talking, you're saying, I'm Christ-like. And to be Christ-like, one, uh, one has to have enough courage and discipline in their lives to be like Jesus Christ. And that's why he's giving us first the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. And the purpose of that Holy Spirit that is in you and me is to help us live out the Christian life. You cannot live it out without the presence of the Spirit of God living in you. And Jesus Christ showed that to the disciples when he told them, go in the upper room and wait for the promise of the Father. Do nothing until he comes. Also, as we become baptized in faith, the Holy Spirit comes and do indwell us. All of us sitting in this room who have had Jesus in our lives. You may have had him when you were a little child. You may have encountered Jesus somewhere in your teenage or whatever that may have been. The Spirit of God is in your heart. He's in your life. And sometimes you don't feel it or sense his presence. And the reason we don't feel it or sense it is because we have either grieved him or quenched him. When you grieve the Holy Spirit and quench the Holy Spirit, you don't sense that he's there, even though he's there, but you don't sense that he's there. And imagine being in your house and a friend comes in to visit or live with you in the house. And you do not fellowship or associate with this person at all. At some point, there will be a disconnect between the two of you. And it's the same thing that is happening with the Spirit of God in our hearts. He's there, but there is no passion, there's no feeling, there's no joy, there's no love. There is nothing in it. It is dried because we have no relationship with the Spirit of God. And so he comes in there to bring the blessings that God uh, has had for us. So to become a disciple, you have to be disciplined. Disciplined to live in humility and in humbleness and allow God's will to be done and not your will or my will to be done, but God's will. Like Jesus did. My will is to do the will of the one who sent me, he said. And that should be the idea of every Christian who wants to grow in faith and love Jesus. We ought to be saying that my will is to do the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. That should be our desire. And this is what humility is all about. Over and again, we have made the emphasis that salvation is free. Okay? Salvation is free. We paid nothing for it, no cost. Jesus paid it all, we sing in the hymn song, and all to him we owe, right? So he paid for it. We don't do nothing as far as salvation is concerned. Jesus died on the cross to give us life. All right? You don't have to do anything. He's paid. All you got to do is to look to that cross and obtain eternal life. Everyone who looks to the cross of Christ is saved, so you do nothing about it. But the discipline or the discipleship end of this journey is the one that is costly. All right? You have to pay. 
You have to pay it with your life. You have to pay it with your time. You have to pay it with your effort. You have to pay it with your energy. You have to pay when it comes to discipleship. It is not an easy thing to live for Christ. It is not an easy, especially in the pluralistic world that we find ourselves in today. It is very difficult to live for Jesus Christ, okay? It is very hard. And so, so you have to be disciplined to live the life. As a matter of fact, the word disciple simply means learner, all right? The, 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 the word disciple simply, simply means learner. A disciple of Jesus is to, uh, 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 is to learn from Jesus, is to allow Jesus to teach him or her the way of life. That's what it is to become a disciple of Christ. We don't live subjectively when we become disciples of Christ. Instead, we live objectively. Our lives are, we live our lives objectively. That is, we submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. All right? So Jesus Christ should not only be savior in our lives, but he also should also be lord of our lives. So we call him lord and savior. But is he really the Lord and Savior of our lives? Or is he just a Savior of our lives? Because when he becomes Lord of your life, it means that he is the one who controls everything that is happening with you. Okay? Everything that is happening has been controlled by Jesus. Before you make a choice or make a decision, the question is, what? The long time ago we used to have that acronym, WWJD, what would Jesus do? So before you make a decision, you ask yourself, that's what true disciplined Christian would do. What would the Lord do in this situation? It's how you will go about making your decision. A disciple has to be one who is teachable and not arrogant. A disciple has to be one who is humble and not full of pride. It's the same, same uh, thing I just said, but saying in, in different words. All right, you, you have to be humble, not full of pride. A disciple has to be one who is willing to be disciplined and not forced to be disciplined. You have to be willing to do it, to lay your life on the line for the sake of the gospel, to lay your life on the line so that uh, Jesus Christ can use you for his cause. So a disciple has to be humble and willing because Jesus is determined to change us. He's very determined to change us, but that determination will only happen as we submit to his lordship in humbleness. So his whole objective is that the world will see another person in us. You understand this? That's the whole objective of Christ, is so that the world will see us, but see another person in us. And guess who that person is? That person is Jesus Christ. He wants the world to see him in us. I just preached a series talking about the body of Christ quite recently. And in that, 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 that series, I talked to you and told you about a manifested person that is in this body, all right? In my body is a manifested person, I told you. And that person is the reason why you see me. When I stand up here, all you see is this black guy standing in front of you, talking or singing. That's all you know about me. You know nothing else about me. You don't know about the guy that is inside here. The guy in here is not black. The guy in here is not white. Matter of fact, I've never met him before. I don't know what he looks like, so don't ask me about what he looks like. I don't know him, but he lives in here, okay? And that's that manifested person that you are seeing actually preaching to you and doing these things. If he gets out of the body, the body falls to the ground, and the body becomes nothing. But because he lives in it, that's why I'm standing up here giving you the word of God this morning, talking because of this person who is in me. That's how the body of Christ is. We call the church 
the body of Christ. But if anyone is going to see Jesus, they're going to have to see him through us, the church. And if we cannot manifest Christ out in the world today, ah, there is no Jesus in the world. And that's why the church is here. Okay, so just as we exist and in us is a manifested person, so also the church exists and in it is a manifested person. And that manifested person is Jesus Christ. So as the church moves and exists and have her being, Christ must be the person that is seen through us. Other than that, there is no Jesus and there is no life in the church without Christ. And so in John 10, 10, Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. He comes to give us abundant life. In John 14, 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them. And listen to this. He says, and we will come to them and make our home with them. He's talking about a dwelling place where us and him are together in that one place. That's the kind of life Jesus seeks for us. He wants us to dwell along with the Godhead in one place. He wants us to dwell with the, the Trinity in one place, in oneness. And so as we move and exist, people can see this God in us, through us, who is for us. That's what he wants. And so then, uh, uh, for that to, to happen, one must live in humility. Uh, my beloved wife, Precious, always thinks I pay way too much for things. She thinks that I, I, I buy things for too much money. But I'm the kind of person who likes to spend money and enjoy it. So I don't go and buy things cheap that's going to break, and then I go back and buy it after another two weeks or two days. I like to buy stuff, and it lasts. And that's why I would put good money behind it before I buy it, because I want it to last. And that's the kind of uh, discipline that we need to have in our Christian lives. We need to invest in our Christian life so that it will last. And for that to happen, one must be uh, in that act of discipline, to discipline yourself in the faith and discipline yourself in Christ so that you can have a lasting faith. All right, you have to deposit, good deposit in there so that you will have a lasting faith, so that you will not have a faith that will be shaking. One minute you are in the church, the next minute you are out of the church, and you are moving by the wave and the winds. And as things happen in your life, you move out of the church, you come back in the church. You move out of the church, you come back in. What the Bible calls that kind of person is double-minded. The Bible says the double-minded man can never get anything from God. All right? You double-minded. One minute you are there, you cannot make up your mind or decide on what you want to do. But God wants us to be steadfast in our faith, planted in it, and no matter what happened, we should not allow things to sway us away. But I believe in the idea of, 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 of standing firm in Jesus Christ. Growing up, I lived with my aunt after my mother died. And my, my mother passed away, and she, my, my aunt trained me into becoming a productive young man. She trained me very hard. At, during the time of the training, I thought it was, I, I didn't think my, my aunt loved me because I thought that she was too cruel, she was too hard and too harsh and all those things. But I stayed there anyways and went through the, the process and period of training. And I came out and I strongly believe today that staying with my aunt helped me become the person that I am today. Coupled with the fact that the Holy Spirit is in me and I'm following 
his, 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 his footstep or his, his, his guidance. But, but my aunt's training me, brought me to become the young man I became as I grew up and, and is able to keep my family in check as well and do a lot of things in the house that people come and see me doing things in my house because my aunt trained me to do those things. I'm disciplined and I brought that right into my house. And so God wants us to be that kind of, to have that kind of discipline that as we step out in the world, the world will see Jesus in us. They won't have to ask the question. And that's why he says, let your light shine so that men will see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. So, so uh, from, from the gospel text this morning, here are uh, uh, three quick points I will, I will leave with you as we deal with the, uh, on the topic, the cost of becoming a disciple, the cost of becoming a disciple of Christ. The subtopic for this, which is for today, is a disciple worship Jesus at all costs. That's the subtopic for today. A disciple worships Jesus at all costs. Look in Luke 14, 23 and 20, I mean 26 and 27. Luke 14, 26 and 27 says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yet even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. What these texts suggest to us is that the Lord Jesus must come before all other things in our lives. The Lord Jesus must come before all other things in our lives. And you know, Jesus Christ is not apologetic about this. He's not apologetic. He's not begging us to do this. He wants us to do this. He says a must. If your life is going to change, I must be first. You cannot make me second. I'm not going to take it for third. I want to be number one in your life. The first person, we read that in Matthew 6.33. He says what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what? All other things will be added to you. So all the things that we're trying to make first will be added if we seek Jesus first or make him first in our lives. So he's not apologetic about this. He's telling us to make him the first person in our lives. This so, so uh, this text is speaking about uh, three very peculiar things as religion to disciples who worship Jesus Christ. So it's talking about personal relationship, it's talking about personal reputation, and it's talking about personal realization. Let's look at those three quickly, and I'm going to sit down. The first is a disciple's personal relationship. In verse 26 of the text, it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, and children, brother, and sister. Now, let's look at this. That means everything that we affiliate with must submit to the lordship of Christ. That's what the text is saying. Must submit to his lordship. The verse tells us that we are called upon to hate father, mother, children, brother, sister. And yes, I know that in, in the everyday language definition, English definition rather, the word hate seems very harsh and, 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 and or seems very paradoxical for some of us because how can the same Jesus who says that we must love come in this text and say we must hate? Then it becomes very paradoxical because why? It is like it is against one another. He's making two different statements and everybody's getting confused and asking what do you really want us to do? 
All right? And so the Lord is not breaking the commandments that tells us to honor our parents or to love our parents. In Exodus 20 verse 2, he's not, he's not doing that. He's not telling us to hate people, but the word hate is, is not being used as we define it. It is not being used at that. The whole statement is speaking of choice. He's speaking about choice. Choosing one thing over another is the idea that this word hate carries. Okay, so like we sing the song, uh, I have decided to follow Jesus. There's an old hymn song we sing, and sometimes we don't really pay attention to what that song means. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The word behind me, the cross before me, we sing these songs. It is the idea of saying that I hate the world and I love Jesus. I hate the world and I love Jesus. I'm not going back to the world. I'm following Jesus. No turning back. It's a matter of choice. And that's what Jesus is saying. We should not choose our families over him. All right? He must be first. And when we make Jesus number one in our lives, everything else, everything else, everyone else, we make second. We can manage everything and love everyone the same. And you find the love of God pouring into those things and into those areas more and more because why Jesus is already in our hearts. And he pours out that love into our family as it is poured into us. And so we need to uh, take note of that. The first, second thing is the disciples' personal reputation. It's what we want to look at. In verse 26 again, it says, yes, even their own life. He's talking about your own life. He says, such a person cannot be my disciple if they don't hate their own life. So a true disciple of Christ, we, as true disciple of Christ, we are commanded not to love ourselves. Look at that. We are commanded not to love ourselves more than we love Jesus Christ. And, and, and look at the statement with emphasis. Yes, Jesus says, even your own life. He places emphasis on it. All right? Because above everything else, we love our lives. But Jesus is placing emphasis on it and saying, yes, even your own life. So to be a disciple of Christ, we must take ourselves off the throne and put Jesus there. He needs to be on the throne. He needs to be Lord of Lords. He needs to be King of Kings sitting on the throne. We must decrease as he increases in our lives. And so in many modern Christian churches today. The theme is self-fulfillment. That's what they preach, self-fulfillment. You hear it in the messages. They bring it week after week and tell you how you can thrive, how you can be successful, how you can be rich, how you can own this and own that. And, and, and you don't have to be down. You have to be up. And those kind of messages you hear over and again, okay? Self-fulfillment fulfillment messages. But Jesus Christ comes in here and he's telling us that in order for you to grow in the grace of God, in order for you to elevate in grace, you must be humble. We must humble ourselves in order for us to obtain God's blessings. The blessing he wants to bring to us are spiritual blessings, uh, are the blessings that God is more interested in. He's more concerned about, he's also concerned about earthly journey and our earthly blessings, but mainly God wants us to be blessed spiritually and that's what it is all about so a healthy self image is good but in obtaining it we must be willing to put jesus first in spite of what others might think of us or quit worrying about what they might say to you and just put jesus first or even the outcome of what might happen to us if we follow jesus 
laying down our personal lives, laying down personal reputation is a part of that growth. You have to lay down yourself so that Christ can come in and do what he wants to do in and through you. Jesus commands us to pick up our crosses and follow him. In Luke 9.23, he says, Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Mark 10.21, he says, Jesus looked at them and he loved him. This was the rich young ruler who came to Jesus with his many questions. And he says, one thing you lack, Jesus told him. After he had answered all of the questions, one thing you lacked, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. And the Bible says that that rich young ruler walked away with his head hanging down because he was sad, that he was so connected to his riches that he wouldn't let go of it. And so he did not follow Jesus as Jesus commanded him to do. Notice that a cross is not a thing of beauty. A cross is a thing of shame. It's a thing of reproach. It is not a thing of beauty. And so coming to Jesus Christ as his disciple, we must not come looking for everything to be gloomy and beautiful because the cross is not a thing of beauty. You're going to have people who will stand opposed to your ideology. You will have people who will stand opposed to your faith and what you stand for. And sometimes they will ostracize you in the process. But you have to know that standing firm in faith, it counts for everything. And God has called us to faith, and we must stand firm, as the scripture says, in our faith. The last point I want to bring up to you today is the disciples' personal realization. The disciples' personal realization. Look in Luke 14, 27. He says, whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciples. We must come to realize that picking up the cross must be a willing decision. It is a decision that we need to make, that I'm going to follow Jesus. No matter what my friends say, no matter what my family says, no matter what anybody says, I have made that determination, I have made that decision to follow Christ, and I'm going to follow him wherever he leads, whatever he says is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to follow Jesus. It's a determination we make. It was a willing de decision for Jesus Christ. In John 10, 18, he says these words. No one takes it from me. He was talking about his life. He said, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I have received from my father. He had the authority to lay down his life. He had the authority to pick it up. It was a choice that he made to go to the cross. He was not forced to the cross. It was, this decision was made by the father. But the father asked Jesus to carry out this work. Jesus made the decision to come and die on the cross for us. It was not something that he was forced to do, but his desire was to do the will of his father, and he came and he carried it through. So Dr. A. W. Tozer, one of the greatest theologians, well, he says these words, when a person takes up their cross and is crucified with Christ, there must be the realization of three things in their lives. Here are the three things. All right, here are three things in the life of a person who has made that determination to follow Jesus and uh, uh, made this uh, true realization to do this. Here are the three things. First, he is facing only one way. He is facing only one way. He is not turning back. He is not going sideways. He is facing only one way. And that one way is the way that leads to eternity, eternal life, and it's the way of Christ. 
He's facing only one way. Remember that person who makes the decision to be a disciple. You don't sit back there and think about taking another route or going that way or going back, but he faces only one way. The next thing is, he is not going back. He is not going back. There is no turning back for the person who has made up that determination to follow Jesus. And the third thing is, he has no further plans of his own. Okay? He has no further plans of his own. Imagine just like the, uh, uh, the Bible described us as the body of Christ. And you get up one morning and your body has come up with this long list of plans that it has to carry out for the day. And you're lying there looking at the list your body has made and your body saying, these are my plans for today. Okay? That would scare you because why? The body needs to be submitting to you and not you to the body. And so it's going to scare you if your body came up with a new plan for the day. And that's how it is with the church. When we come up with plans, not submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we don't carry out the will of God. And so it is very important for us to notice that we don't come up with any plans of our own when we submit to the Lordship of Christ. Uh, do you know what <clears throat> these three statements means? Let me tell you. They mean you no longer own you. That's what it means. That your life belongs to Christ. That's what it means. It, the Apostle Paul realizing this made this declaration in, in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what Paul says. He says, I no longer live. I've been crucified with Christ. The life I live now in this body is for Jesus Christ. That's what a true disciple would say. Those statements also mean that you have realized that you have been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, it says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. In order to glorify God with our bodies as, as disciples, we have to be humble and submit to his lordship. You know why all of us are able to sit in this room together today? People of different colors, people of different culture, people of different creed. We are able to sit in the same room together. It's because of one person, Jesus Christ. He brings us to that one common place. In, even though we have our differences, we have our different ideas, we have our different feelings and thoughts. Some people want it warmer in here than it, than it is right now. Some people want it cooler in here than it is right now. Some people like it just like it is. But amidst all of that, we came in this room and sat here together because we love Jesus, because it's in our hearts. And because of that, it brings us together and unifies us in this church, in this oneness. And so in order for the church to grow and become what God wants it to be, we have to submit to his lordship so that he will bring us up into the statue of the fullness of his grace. And I pray that as you receive these words this morning, it will encourage your hearts and keep you steadfast in your faith, knowing that if we do this, God will never leave us nor forsake us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people say, Amen.